So just, I thought we'd just stop here and kind of drink in uh, the view. We're still kind of right after sunrise, uh, within the first hour, and uh, it is just drop dead gorgeous. Hey Upper Cape Catch listeners, it's your host Gilda Geist, and I'm with Craig Gibson, the local birder and photographer behind the weekly series in the Falmouth Enterprise known as Birder's Corner. On the morning of October 19th, Craig and I went out for a walk on the bike path to look for birds, and this is where we landed. So this is, this is a spectacular view of Great Sipawisset Marsh, directly across in some of the little tidal pools are, are uh, a number of uh, great and snowy egrets and greater yellow legs feeding in the foraging in the, in the shallow tidal pool. And then these are more gulls here. There are probably five... Craig grew up in the Boston area and his family spent a lot of time in Brewster, where Craig loved to enjoy time outdoors. His older brother had always been an avid birder, and so Craig picked up a lot of what he knows about birding from him. So do you know what kind of birds we're looking at over here? Very likely those might be yellow-rumped warblers, um, migratory birds that come through in, in big numbers this type of year. Cape Cod, I'm told, is something of a birder's paradise. We've got the ospreys, the piping plovers, hawks, egrets, owls, herons, and so much more. But we've also got a robust birding community full of people eager to share their knowledge and help just about anyone, including you and me, learn how to identify and appreciate these feathered creatures that live right in our backyards. And now, without further ado, your local guide to birding on the Upper Cape. to the Upper Cape Catch by the Enterprise, where we bring you the latest news from Falmouth, Mashpee, Bourne, and Sandwich. I'm Gilda Geist, and today we're talking about birds. So I want to start by telling you guys one of the most interesting things I learned about birding while making this episode. Apparently, in the birding community, there's this idea of a spark bird. Your spark bird is what got you into birding. For Craig, that was the osprey, which he first got acquainted with when he moved to Woods Hole with his family about 20 years ago. And uh, when we first landed here, uh, started to become, started to notice the osprey population that's down here. And as I noticed the osprey population, I turned the camera towards the osprey and realized that, that there were ospreys all over. There were osprey nests all over. And takeoffs and landings and, and behavior around raising osprey chicks became a real uh, kind of fascination. So that's how, that's how it all got started. And I have to say, the ospreys here are pretty majestic. But anyway, as Craig was going around town photographing ospreys, he started to notice more and more nests. He was curious about just how many there were, so he called up some experts. I had a chance to connect with uh, staff at Mass Audubon, Wellfleet Bay, and uh, asked them, and they said, well, we think that there might be 60 or 70 nests um, across the Cape at this point, and we're gonna start a census project. I said, okay, that, that's a great idea. I will be happy to get started and, and take on identifying, locating, and recording nest locations in the Falmouth area. One nest would lead to another, would lead to two more. Anytime I was out and about, I would always ask local residents, um, is this the only nest around? Are there any other nests around? And uh, slowly I began to, to photo document each of the nest locations. The number of nests here in Falmouth now may be in excess of 110 or, or, or 120 nests and probably cape wide 
more than 400 breeding pairs of osprey on the Cape when originally it was thought that there might be 60 or, or maybe 70 nests. As you might imagine, in Falmouth, it is ideal habitat with these kinds of, of waterways, ideal habitat for the ospreys. There's a nest there, there's one farther down, there's one there, there's one, I think. The osprey may be Craig's favorite bird when it comes to Cape Cod, but he's had some pretty exciting run-ins with other bird species as well. Way back in 2009, I had a, an extraordinary opportunity one December morning to be out at South Cape Beach in Mashpee. And on that morning, there was, uh, I had hoped that I might be able to, to spot and sight a, um, a snowy owl. The snowy owl is a, a migratory bird that will come down to the coast of Mass Massachusetts and farther south. It breeds up in the, up in the Arctic and uh, oftentimes in search of food, there are certain winters where there will be large numbers of snowy owls that will come down and a, a number of locations along the Cape where they will regularly occur, although each winter, not necessarily in the same abundance, same number of birds. And uh, I had a chance that morning to um, see a, a snowy owl, um, capture an image of it in flight, and, and as I was taking a picture of the bird, it, it was like this. The sun was right on its face, all white, yellow eyes, spectacular. And I sent a copy of that into the Falmouth Enterprise at that time and said, not sure if you might have an interest in um, sharing this with readers. And the response was, yeah, we would love to. And that's where Birders Corner came from. If you're not familiar, Birders Corner is Craig's weekly series in the Falmouth Enterprise. Basically, almost weekly, uh, I send in a photo uh, of, a, of a local bird and a caption. And one of, the, one of the big priorities has been to always make sure that the photo is fresh um, and captured within the last couple of weeks and to make mention of where the photo was captured so that anybody local, your readers, if they wanted to come to Great Sipawissett Marsh, they know that whatever the, the picture is, that they've got a good chance of being able to say, see that same kind of bird. And now here's where we get into one of my favorite aspects of birding, which is the way that the birding community seems to really value cooperation and the sharing of knowledge. No one really seems interested in gatekeeping their favorite birding spots. In fact, it's just the opposite. I'll elaborate more on that in a little bit, but first, I want you to meet our next guest. So uh, my name is Jory Teltzer, um, and this past summer I worked for the Massachusetts Audubon Society as a coastal waterbird monitor. Um, I was mostly stationed on Monomoy Island, which is off of Chatham, and I was living in a tent there for about three months. When he wasn't in his tent, Jory was exploring Falmouth and Mashpee, doing what he loves most, looking for birds. I, I like to explain the kind of birding that I do uh, as like Pokemon Go, but in real life. Pokemon Go, for those who are unfamiliar, is an augmented reality iPhone game that was really popular around 2016. Basically, the way it worked was you could walk around your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, just about anywhere. And by looking at the world through your phone, through the app, you could find and collect these mystical little virtual creatures. The goal was to catch as many different kinds as possible. And now, if this doesn't make any sense to you, Think about baseball cards instead. It's the same concept. There is something exciting about the possibility of finding one that's rare, bringing you one step closer to completing your collection. Chasing rare birds is definitely not everything. I 
much rather just kind of enjoy nature. But every so often there is a bird of like cosmic proportions that shows up where you just drop everything to go for this bird. There was one such cosmic rare bird sighting this past summer in Mashpee. When it happened, we actually covered it in the Enterprise, and I'll link that article in the description if you guys want to know more. But anyway, here's Jory. This summer in Mashpee, there was a lesser sand plover, which made the news. This bird was reported, uh, it was like a Monday, I think. And I was just like, we got to go right now. I got my housemates. We got, we went there. We missed it. And then I went the next day and eventually saw it. And then I went a third time and then saw it again. So that bird was found by a colleague of mine, uh, someone who birds Cape Cod very frequently and has lived there. And uh, I went and saw it a few times because it was, you know, I'd, I'd never seen one in North America before. The only other place I'd seen one was in Australia. It's a Siberian species of bird, and they spend the summer in central, like, uh, Russia and, like, northern Siberia. And then they'll spend the winter in Thailand, Singapore, Australia, Indonesia, and then they'll go back. Uh, so for one to be on Cape Cod is insane. It was the first time, I think, one had ever been on, in Massachusetts. But, yeah, I was just chilling on a beach with a bunch of other people just passing by. it. have no idea that this bird is all the way from Siberia. People from all over the country came to see this bird. I know people who came from Pennsylvania, people from New Jersey, people from Maine, people from, like, the Midwest. Tons of people came to see this bird. And how did everyone hear about this bird? This bird was found, and then it was texted out to a group chat. And then people in that group chat posted it to Discord servers and Facebook pages and texted their friends about it. And within an hour, everyone on the East Coast knew about this bird. Birding in the age of the internet is very different than it ever has been. Uh, the internet allows for instantaneous information of a bird's exact GPS coordinates to be like beamed into your telephone within like minutes of it being discovered. Um, before that, there were phone trees where you would, you would call, you know, a hotline and it would bring you to a voicemail and the voicemail would explain what rare birds have been seen in the area and you know it was not instantaneous it was like a day or two delayed there are lots of social media sites where birders have established communities to update each other on bird sightings but there are also websites that cater to birders specifically and there's one that's all the rage right now there's a service called eBird it's a service run through the Cornell University, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And it was started in the early 2000s, and it has kind of caught on like wildfire, specifically in North America. And I can post all of my sightings, and I also have a public profile. eBird kind of has a chokehold on the kind of modern uh, birding community. Uh, I really rarely talk to anyone who isn't on it. Um, and if you do, it's kind of like, why aren't you on eBird? Needless to say, I signed up for an eBird account right after this interview. But anyway, the internet and sites like eBird have made the exchange of information among birders around the world easier than ever. It's a very unique and uh, tight-knit community. You know, I feel very comfortable texting, you know, asking someone for someone else's phone number and texting this person who I've never met before, asking them about, hey, can you give me more information about this bird? Or, hey, I saw you went to Portugal last summer online can you tell me you know what you recommend i go even if i've never spoken to this person before and that's something that i do a lot uh, i travel a lot to especially to go look for birds and um that's something about the community that i really like is that i can just talk to anyone and they'll be you know willing to give me information the internet has changed birding a lot jory says but not always for the better there there are definitely some drawbacks 
um, to having this resource, the internet. Um, I feel sometimes tied to my phone um, as a result of not knowing when the next message or phone call or, you know, frantic phone call from a friend who's hyperventilating about a bird or, you know, a text message from in, in a large group message. And sometimes I'll just leave the house without my phone to go birding because I don't want to deal with it. And that sounds like a great idea for seasoned birders who already know enough to be able to ID birds during their phoneless bird walks. But for those of us who may be new to birding, there are online tools that can really come in handy. Joey recommended one called Merlin, which is free to download on the App Store and allows you to do some really cool stuff. It's fantastic. And there are some features where you can, if you hear a bird, you can take a recording of it and it'll guess. Now, it's, it's a really cool feature and it works some of the time. It definitely has its issues. It's definitely worth cross-referencing, but it's great. You can record a bird. You can just record your backyard and it'll say there's a song sparrow and a northern cardinal and a Carolina wren all singing in your backyard, which is really cool. And you can also upload photos to the app and it'll look at the photo and it'll identify the bird for you with a fair amount of accuracy. Ten years ago, I would have had to, you know, have a stack of books in my backpack um, in order to like know what I was looking at. But now it's like on my phone and it takes up like 500 megabytes of storage. So I went ahead and downloaded Merlin and my co-producer Noel Ananen and I went out to try our hand at birding. We went to one of Jory's favorite birding spots, which is the Crane Wildlife Management Area in East Falmouth. Before I tell you how our first ever birding expedition went, I'll let Jory tell you a little bit more about the area. I like to park by the model airplane field and then I just kind of walk the trails and there's it's it's kind of surrounded on all sides by these like great big stands of pitch pine and forest edges are great areas just to like the edge between a, a big open field and forest often is just you know filled with birds and at this time of year it's bird migration we're like peak bird migration in new england right now like late september early october is such a great time to walk around the crane and look for migrating sparrows and kind of warblers and flycatchers and all sorts of cool, interesting birds. Early morning and late afternoon are definitely best, but there just should be birds really everywhere, especially now. Noelle and I went to Crane in the late afternoon on a sunny day in October. Apparently it was pheasant hunting season, so we had to go home first to get some orange clothing for safety. And then we hit the trails. How long do birders usually spend out on their bird hunts? No, I didn't think to ask that. But I feel like to be a good birder, you probably have to have patience. Um, Something I do not have. I know. It's like that's like the main thing that's going to get me. We weren't having great luck at first, but we kept at it. Um, oh, well, oh, there's one. He's big. He, he's soaring in the sky. That's got to be like a hawk or something. He's kind of... I wish he would make a sound or get closer. No, he's got a pretty big wingspan. He's acting like a hawk. Okay, he's huge. He's soaring. He's swooping in circles. He's swooping. This is hawk behavior. Um, what kinds of hawks do they have here? Let's see. They have a handful of hawks. I was looking at those. Wow, he's actually so cool. He actually is kind of cool. This bird didn't make any sound and was way too far away to identify by sight. But later, we finally heard some birds singing, and so we were able to try out the Merlin app. Okay, so we'll recap what we just did in the Merlin app. So basically, Merlin app has the little sound identification thing that Jory told me about and so we just used it and it identified American crow and blue what was the other one? Oh, um eastern bluebird eastern bluebird and it was like a little 
We made our way through the fields of grass until we got to the edge of the woods, where we were able to find another bird. We were walking in the woods and we heard in the treetops a black-capped chickadee. You can still kind of hear them in the background. I don't know if they'll be able to hear on the recording. But it's like, tweet, 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 tweet. Yeah, that's him. I'm having fun with this. Am I about to become a birder? I know, it's like, should I freaking bird? When the app would make a guess about a bird based on an audio recording, Noelle and I would cross-reference the name of the bird that came up on the app with a list of birds that have been seen at Crane before to see if the app's guess was feasible. I got this list of birds from Craig's blog, falmouthbirds.com, link in the description. He makes these birding checklists using eBird, and he has them for several areas around town that are considered eBird hotspots. Uh, a hotspot would be identified as a location that has had many sightings over the last number of years, and um, then, then a hotspot would be determined by how many different birds have been seen uh, over the number of years in that particular location. So if on eBird enough people enter data about birds they've seen in one particular area, it becomes known as a hotspot. Craig says the number one hotspot in Falmouth is Salt Pond. Great Sapuissant Marsh, where Craig and I went birding together earlier, and Crane are two more hotspots. I'll link Craig's full list in the description of this episode. Now, there's another aspect of eBird that's pretty cool, and that's the citizen science component. So if I go out birding in, you know, this morning, I can go out and uh, I'll walk around at a local park or something, and I can make a checklist of all the birds and how many of each bird I saw, and I can write comments about them and say what the weather was and how, how many miles I walked and how long I was there. And then I, I post it, and then it goes into this major database that Cornell actually will use for data collection. Like it's all citizen science. All this data is public and anyone can access it to use it for any free research that they want to. It's an incredible and unmatched resource for scientists really. There's a sort of empowering aspect to being able to contribute to science, especially now that the climate crisis is becoming so prevalent in our daily lives. It's richly rewarding to know that Cornell has this portal, and by contributing sightings to the portal, it significantly lifts up this notion of being part of a global citizen science project. With, with all of the, the concerns about climate, it's increasingly important to be able to have that, that, uh, that database in place and then add to that. So again, the researchers can detect even the subtlest shift in, in bird behaviors that may be able to take place based on data provided from birders. So the number of people posting has gone up, the, the number of posts that are being made has gone up to just exponentially. And it's just a sign of people, A, out enjoying birding, using eBird, and by virtue of doing so, contributing to citizen science. All the resources you need to start birding on the Upper Cape are linked in the description of this episode. And now, one last piece of advice from both of today's guests. I would say get Merlin, it's free. And then if you're still really into it, get a pair of cheap binoculars. The number of times where I have just seen like pure excitement and shock on people's faces when they look through pure binoculars, like, oh my God, this is this is what binoculars are like. I know it sounds stupid, but like things that are like far away, right up in your face is unbelievable. Um, and it can really change your perception of the natural world, I think. Get out, enjoy, have fun, and if you have a chance, make some postings up on eBird. And by all means, go visit the Falmouth Birds blog. And at a minimum, make sure to take a look at the photo each week in the Falmouth Enterprise, thanks to John Paradise. John Paradise, of course, is the editor of the Falmouth Enterprise, and also my boss. And that's just a window into my world. Anyway, happy birding.
Our program today was hosted, written, and produced by me, Gilda Geist. Special thanks to Craig Gibson, Jory Teltzer, and Noel Ananen. The Upper Cape Catch by the Enterprise comes out every Friday, just like our newspaper. Pick up your copy at our office in Belmouth or at your favorite local business. Or check us out online at capenews.net. Thanks for listening.